uncommon sense advice on your work life, your personal life, and God knows what else. Welcome to How to Do Life with Dr. Marty Nemco. It is my real pleasure to introduce a longtime friend, and I'm not interviewing her because she's my friend. She is among the most eminent people in the area of career counseling ever. She is Marilyn Mays. She was a big shot at the ACT. She, when I met her back way back in the 80s, she was the first person, this may be a little bit in the weeds, but to put weights, so as people were trying to figure out what career you should choose, there was a new software. And instead of just saying, do you want it to be indoors or outdoors? Do you want to work with words or whatever? She had people weight them. This is really important. This is a deal killer. If it's not this, I can't do it. Or this is a seven point or a three point. And I thought that was brilliant. And that, to be honest, was what made me want to be friends with Marilyn Mays. I loved her forward thinking intelligence. Have I left anything else? Marilyn Mays, thanks for joining me. That's quite an introduction. Thank you. Okay. Um, let me just say that when I got my degree in um, career counseling back in uh, 1975, I'm going to date myself oh, intentionally. You are old. You are old. I'm going to make sure everybody knows I'm old because I got this white hair and I earned it. And I have no hair and I have earned it. <laughs> and you earned that too. But, but my point is that I, I was, you know, looking for different things and, and I chose career counseling because it was so complex. Hmm. And now that's a funny reason to choose it, right? But, you know, most counselors like to work with people. And, and I do too. I wanted to make, to make sure people were an important part of my, my work. But also, you know, if you're going to do career counseling and do it right, you need to know what's going on in the world. You need to keep in touch with the labor market and what's changing, because otherwise the advice you're giving people is not going to be too spot on, you know? I have a, a theory, in fact, about career proofing, about, I'm sorry, future proofing your career. And, and I got a um, criticism the other day indirectly from Jim Bright, said can't prove, future proof your career. No such thing, nobody knows the future. But that's my point. In order to make sure you're not obsolete, what you have to do is keep watching what's going on in the world and thinking about how that affects my career. So tell me, if I if people who are listening or watching this want to future proof their career, of course it varies completely with the individual, but tell me something I don't know, or maybe a lot of people don't know, regarding how to future-proof your career as we enter 2023. Well, I'll, I'll tell you one of the things that's worrying me, and I'm hoping somebody else listening is a career in the career field too, so they they will appreciate what I'm going to say. But um, I was talk I was reading a book about the um, the future and how um, AI has changed how we make decisions. Nowadays, people make decisions by letting the computer make it for you. When you want to choose a movie, you don't go and try to read all this stuff and figure it out. You just let it tell you what to watch. And this uh, desire to let somebody else make the decision for you is pretty much a human desire. I mean, that's pretty basic, don't you think? Imagine what that would do to our field yes. if everybody there, what are the did that for their career. So what are the implications of that for career counselors and for, for career seekers? The, the implications for people who help others make decisions is that we may not be needed in the future, okay? And, and we may need to reinvent ourselves very seriously. And I know I personally am going to keep watching and seeing what's going on with AI because I don't want to be the last to know 
that my profession is no longer needed. Um, so I'm going to keep watching and, and try to figure out what's happening and um, how that's going to work out. My guess is that we're too far away from that. And if, in all of our lifetimes, even if the, the viewer or listener is 20-something, I think it will always be AI-assisted. Yeah, I think career and, counselors, doctors, lawyers, or whatever are going to consult that, but there is too much nuance to, for the computer to be right often enough. And in addition, people who are, let's say, career counseling clients or doctors, patients, or lawyers clients don't want to feel it's just a computer. They're going to want a human touch to at least validate what the computer said. Do you buy that? But, you know, I found out that people in our field are often just not computer savvy. So I'm not sure how well career professionals are going to do when it comes to using the computer as a supplement and an add-on to what they're doing already. I think that I might think be the right. big challenge. So, well, they, they, you know, it's like teachers. They've been very, the people who tend to go into teaching tend to not be computer-centric. And so, you know, even 50 years after the computers have ended, the grove of apples was planted in classrooms, there's still a lot of teachers who would feel more comfortable at a blackboard. Yeah. Or they think they're making a technological advance when they move to a whiteboard. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, let's turn to the, the most people who are going to be listening to this are not career counselors. You've, you know, like you made fun of your white hair. What's something well, I'm not making that... fun of it, I'm saying I earned it. <laughs> yes, indeed. I value it. <laughs> yes. Or what have you come to know now about finding a career that you didn't know when you started out that may be of value to people who are looking for a career? I think that the older I get, the more I appreciate how nuanced the field is and how it's impossible to make. Um, any kind of generalizations. As soon as I think I know what's going on, then I find a new twist and I, I'm back to, to step one again. Um, I have learned a lot of different theories and I think all of them weave themselves into what I do, but I don't think that any one of them is sufficient or perfect or, you know, I think it's like you said, it's, it's a very nuanced thing in mm -hmm. trying to help people. Let me run by you a couple of things that I have learned that I think could be generalizations. And you could please feel free to push back, agree, amplify, whatever you want. So when I first started out, because I am entrepreneurially oriented, not money oriented, but I like being in control, I used to more often tar tout self-employed entrepreneurship. I do that less now. My clients have told me, and the increased amount of bureaucracy, regulations, and requirements, if you want to be legally self-employed, have metastasized. So I have become much more sobered about the potential to make a living ongoing mm -hmm. in self-employment. That's something I did not know when I started out, but I believe now. What was your reaction to that? That's an interesting uh, comment because um, many people are moving into gig work, which is self-employment working from job to job and finding it much more lucrative than working for an organization. So so that's very interesting. And I think what you're saying is it's not jobs in general, it's only career work that's like this. Yeah, right? I, absolutely there's more gig work, but then you don't have to be an entrepreneur. You, let's say if you are a software engineer or a coder, you right. know, just because you're going from gig to gig doesn't mean you're setting up a business. Right. Basically, you're working for company A for three months and then company B. For, what I'm talking about is the people who want to run their, start their own business, entrepreneurs. 
Mm -hmm. I'm finding I'm much more reluctant to recommend that, especially because the pool of people who come to career counselors as a group are not as efficacious as the as the pool of people who are successful entrepreneurs. They, if they were that much of a go getter or a self starter, they would go and do it themselves. That's the that's a really good point. I think help. the pool of people that we see may not be the ones that are self starters, but I would not ever recommend that people stay away from. Um, entrepreneurship because um some of the people who are have made the most money in the world are in are entrepreneurs at my core i'm a statistician and i'm not a particularly risk-oriented person and so of course the media trumpets the the zuckerbergs uh, and the like but for every one of those there were a thousand people who were shaking their head and wonder what the hell happened uh, here I am, you know, I'm, I'm working as a waiter, as a, what's the word to these days, a waiter, it's not, you're not allowed to say waiters anymore for sure, and even waiter, what is the, what do they call a server, that's the server. word we're allowed to use. That's right, yeah. yeah. Right, I'm a server now. So, you know, I, I don't like to get seduced, and I don't, I, whether you, I, I don't think it's a good idea to get seduced by what the media trumpets. I look statistically at what is the odds of my particular client or you, who, not you, Marilyn, but you who are listening to this, given your track record, given how much of a self-starter you are, how good are you at solving problems on the, on the fly? How much money do you have to, to, to for the ramp-up period? How good is your idea? You know, all of those different things need to be factored into the probability that you're going to be a Mark Zuckerberg or even just a moderately successful entrepreneur. And that calculus... That algorithm, for me, has less often concluded that you should try to be an entrepreneur. Reaction you, to that? You're right. When somebody says they want to start their own business, then I'm going to go through a checklist of how to do that and make sure that person really knows what it takes. I've started several businesses, and I know that it takes years. It takes a lot of money. It takes a lot of creativity. It takes a lot of tolerance of risk. So there's a whole lot of things I'd want to be sure the person had you know, understood. You talked about AI. And again, we're talking about the pool of people who see career help and who are probably watching this video. <laughs> if they were masters at Python and database analysis and whatever, they tend to not come to career counselors. That's the correct. market is pretty good for them. So what, if anything, do you have as... A tip you're, that's not obvious for the non-techie. Is it get techie or is it how do you deal with not being a techie? What are your thoughts about that? And let's say you tip, people who watch this tend to be a college graduate. They may not have a PhD, but they have a bachelor's degree or a master's degree. What do you picture a pool of people who have bachelor's and master's in liberal arts, political science, women's studies, all that stuff. Any non-obvious career advice for that pool of people? One of the, um, you know, they're always picking entrepreneurs who've done really well to give advice to people who um, are just getting started. And one of the people that I heard say something on that line said um, that you have to, um, uh, you have to really understand what it is that you are good at, and you have to be an absolute expert in something. Now, you may only be an expert in one tiny, tiny little thing. But if somebody right. needs that expertise, then they will know to come to you. And, and that's that's how you want to become known. So so pick something, something small, something you can manage in which you can be an expert. 
and and uh, and maybe you are not set out to be an entrepreneur, but if you are set out to be an expert in one small thing, there will be a path to your door. Maybe not a big path, maybe not beaten down by hundreds of people, but maybe one or two people, and it will give you a sense of purpose and meaning in life to be that expert in a little thing. I agree with. Let me amplify on that. So let's take the world of uh, two kinds of non-techie people, word people and people people. If I'm a word person in general, I am, I agree with you. I would try to find a micro niche. First of all, I would narrow down. Am I more of a writing person or a speaking person or both? And what is a vertical market that I, it's not so much that I'm passionate about, but maybe where I have a point of access that the public doesn't have. Let's say my mother was an expert at importing Indian spices, right. right? Right. I would try to learn all there is to know about writing about Indian spices, whether it be for catalogs, uh, promotion, investor meetings, whatever. That's uh, a micro niche. It's a right. long tail thing. I'm capitalizing on what's in front of me, mm-hmm. and it's a micro niche. Do you buy that? I definitely buy that. But there are people who have made huge fortunes being experts on, on recipes for one tiny little thing like Indian spices. Right. So I'm not saying that other... you will. I'm not saying that each individual right. will become famous and wealthy. I'm only saying that, that yes, it, it is a career. And yes, you can make something out of it. And so if I'm a people, I've looked at the other one of the non-techie specialists, if I'm a people person, mm-hmm. dividing that up into the different categories, there are some people who are great at persuading. I am not one of them, but I'm good at thinking on my feet. And yeah. so, you know, uh, uh, and I like helping people solve problems on the, in real time. So my, my micro niche might be helping people in real time verbally and getting an expertise in something. I Let's say... I, let's say I work for the post office hmm. and I wanted to become an expert helping people solve problems in the post office. I would stay with the post office and learn as much as I could in the post office, work my way up. And maybe even I'm sure they have an HR department that's focused on uh, resolving the postal people who've gone postal. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And I would make that my micro niche if I am more of a people person. What do you want to say about I, that? I think that's an excellent idea. And and I think one of the things that you said that's really important is stay grounded in what you know. If you're working in the post office, stay there and, and really become an expert in that. And I, I think you can you can make a career out of anything. I mean, it's just amazing. You can make a career out of fishing. Uh, it's it just really, any pick anything that you want to be a specialist in. You can do it. You, you, most people can if they do stay with it and they don't need to get a master's degree in it or whatever. But what counts is getting reading a lot, watching YouTube videos, getting mentored, calling people asking for help and staying focused. Right. Don't let the technology get ahead of you. Um, if it's your field, you have to stay up on technology. I'm sorry. You just have to <laughs> in your field. I think to some extent it's true. There's no reason for me to push back on that. I think it's not always true. There's some nuance there, but there's it's generally true. Um, but like take that postal example. I mean, you know, in the end, that's still not going to be AI driven. That's going to be, yeah. you know, Joe and Mary having this fight. And I'm not sure how much technology is going to be central to that. It's going to be that more of that emotional intelligence and pure brain power. Wrong. 
I think it's I think that's probably true. And and I, I would definitely feel comfortable if I were not a technology person in that field that it wouldn't catch up with me very soon. But I, I can't promise you that because I don't have a crystal ball. <laughs> yeah. In that spirit of um of nuance, there are some fields that you have a pretty damn good chance of not working. For example, when I was a little boy, I collected stamps. And it's a dead field. You know, your people, you know, don't only one out of 10,000 people make a living in the stamp and posted stamp, stamp collecting industry. So even if that was in front of me and my dad was a, you know, a, an avid stamp collector, it, uh, you don't, you have to do some curation, but yes. in general, opt for what's in front of you, whether it be your job or your family connections or your friend connections, or that girlfriend who, uh, you know, who happens to be in field X. Yeah. Yeah. Let's turn to another topic. Um, what have you learned about career counselors in your interaction with them over the decades? I have learned that it is as varied as the field of career counseling, that there are some people which just love to work with people and that's all they do and they don't deal with technology at all. There are some people that just love to work with giving advice and they are have the best advice in the world. Um, and there's all different kinds of people. And there's some people that just like to listen and they wanna hear about other people's problems, quite frankly. And that that's good because there's right. so few people in this world that really listen. So having somebody who really listens to you can be a, you know, it can be good enough sometimes. I would say good, but not good enough. <laughs> I have had many clients who've had counselors and therapists who are great listeners, mm -hmm. but in the end, not all problems can be solved by yourself. Mm -hmm. So to me, it's a balance of a good listener and defaulting to letting the solutions come from the client because she'll have more ownership in it. But if the client really is flailing, like you said at the very beginning of our discussion, you need to know a lot about the world of work so that if they're stuck, you can make suggestions. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. And especially if you can make suggestions about things that are moving forward rather than technology that's already, you know, passed you by. <laughs> you know, uh, it's all well and good to talk in, in in the abstract, but I'm gonna I'm gonna put you on the spot and let's pretend we waved a magic wand and you're 20 years old now, mm -hmm. but you know you know what you knew now what you you knew then what you know now. What would you do if you were a 20 year old? Let's say you were a junior in college, uh, and whatever. What would what would you what would your career thinking and doing look like at age 20? If I knew everything when I was 20 that I know now, it would look right. very different because uh, I put my career, as you pointed out earlier, into software, computerized career planning. And um, now that software has changed so much and it's everything's available on the internet, I mean, basically, Google provides any kind of information that I need. I can't, I don't have to have somebody curating the information for me about occupations. Now, on the other hand, is a lot of people need that because they try to use Google and they come up with the most absurd things. And then I'm going, why don't you just read that stuff we wrote over there about how to, you know, about jobs? And they go, oh, okay, that's good information. That, that was what I needed. You know, so I, I mean, I'm not saying that there's not a place for uh, what I was doing, but I, it certainly has changed. 
that the changes are just so dramatic. And in fact, the, um, the field has completely fallen apart because the federal government took it over. Once the federal the, government does a really poor job of it, but they do it and it's free. I know. It's I hard know. to fight free. <laughs> right. When so, you say so they do it, they have, they have these places called One Stops and they have a website called mycareerpath.com. And, oh, that's, yeah. They're okay, but not great. They're not great. So, There's nothing great about them, but they're free and they're used all over the world. Right. So it's back you know, to you. You're 20 years old. What are you going to do? Yeah. What am I going to do? Okay. You yourself. <laughs> yeah. Right. You're 20 years old. Yeah. Right. It's hard. I mean, I, I'm not sure that um, I can see a lot of fields that I'm not going to do. And I can see that I would not go back into what I'm doing, but I cannot answer the question of what I would I do. I it would take me a while to really think of that. Let me tell you what I would do. Uh, just in yeah, I'd, I'd like no to hear question, what you would like. <laughs> but sure, it's clear to me. Uh, I would have uh, become a geneticist, um, probably. While I hate school, I, f uh, I feel like uh, knowing something about where really high-level people in, in these fields uh, go, They most of them, there's the rare one who drops out and just you know does it. But most of them end up with PhDs from Caltech or MIT. Uh, places like that. And, and I probably would, as you said, find a micro niche. Uh, I know somebody, for example, specializes in the genetics of the thalamus, which is a little part of the brain that connects the, the lower four animal side brain to the forebrain, the, the higher thinking part. And he is probably the world's leading expert on research on the thalamus. And there could be five lifetimes of work he could do on that that would under, that would help unlock the biological basis of intelligence. And uh, so right. I would pick some micro niche and probably I would pick something that just came in front of me that what my advisor was an expert at blah, some <laughs> right. little aspect of the, the genome thing, you know, gene circuits in the uh, uh, sing cingulate uh, gyrus uh, and learn everything I, you know, and I can curse here on I, everything I fucking could <laughs> about that and start doing studies right away working for that under that expert and just becoming the guy in that particular micro niche. That's what I would do. What's your reaction? I, I think that's great. There's a theory by that name. It's called happenstance theory. And it suggests right. that you have to be open to good opportunities. And when an opportunity comes to you, you have to go, oh, that's the one. I'm going to take it <laughs> and right. take it. I mean, you really have to follow it. You know, even yeah. if you, you don't want to double think it. You don't want to say, oh, wow, what if I had done something else? You know, no, you want to just do it, <laughs> grab it and go. <laughs> so you've been in computerized, uh, you know, career advising for a million years. If you were the goddess today and you had all the power and all the money in the world to create something computerized related to career and you could start fresh and you have all the money and all the time or whatever, do you have any idea what the architecture of that software that you would create would be? Well, I have a friend who did it. Um, I was just so impressed when I saw what he did. You know, nowadays, instead of writing occupational information, you just tell people, well, go find it. But you got to help them figure out which is useful information. And so what he wrote was software that actually helps you sort through the occupational information you find. So instead of going off and saying, well, I found somebody who made thousands of dollars in a day in this field, 
it would be, you know, and how much do, do the starting people make? And, and it was questions that would lead you to get the right answers instead of focusing on irrelevant details. Yeah, and that comes back to your point that while it's all there on the internet, you got to interpret Something that it I have learned is you need somebody to help you yeah. very often. I mean, all the financial information is available on the internet too, and yet people need financial advice. Some people need financial advisors. But so this is this is software, and this is software that helps you. I mean, and and yes, it's great if you have a human being, but there's a lot of folks out there that just don't know anybody like that, and and they can't afford to pay someone to do it. You know what I mean? That's the beauty of the colleges. Well, I hate the level of quality of the counselor, career counselors at college campuses. I mean, that ostensibly should be their purpose to sit down with people and help curate what you find off the internet. Am I being too critical of the counselors and colleges? I, I think so. Yes, I, I know so many wonderful people who are doing that. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate it. That's helpful. <laughs> Let's uh, move toward the end of, the, of our conversation. Uh, and either you ask me something or you take the conversation where you think you have something to offer our viewers and listeners that you would like to share. Um, I like the question that you asked me previously about um, what I've learned about Chutney. Uh, well, the, the one thing we, when we talked just a few minutes before this interview, I talked about that I was going to ask about what if, you know, what if she learned, whatever. And then I said we would end by talking about Chutney and tell the story of Chutney. Okay. So, so a long time ago, I visited India, bought a cookbook. And when I got home, I thought, I don't have any green mangoes, but I would love to make chutney. And, and I had lots of green tomatoes because it always seemed there was the frost coming in, getting my tomatoes. So I had lots of green ones. So I, I used green tomatoes. And even the first time I did it, it came out just exactly how I wanted it to be. And every year then I, I did it again. And I thought, oh, it's going to be so different because I've used different ingredients. I've chopped things up differently. Everything's different. And it always tastes the same. I was just Shocked. So I thought, okay, fine. I know how to make chutney. I'm not going to worry about that. I'm just going to do it. So this year I did it and I had lots and lots of green tomatoes this year. And this year it tastes like green tomatoes. <laughs> I am so frustrated because after all these years of making chutney and it was just fine and not ever having to worry about it. And, and this year it, it just didn't come out the way I wanted it. So um, my, what I learned is you may think you know what you're doing, but there are little things that can go wrong. <laughs> you know, I think there's something really profound in that. I believe over the course of my decades of living, I've seen an increase in overconfidence among many people. There are many people who think they're hot shit, maybe in part because they've been told from the cheerleaders, you're great, you can do it, just be. And a lot of them I've seen in meetings, they just, they're loud and they're proud, but they're often lacking, let's just say, in that nuance. And so even where you were kind of an expert at making chutney, having the humility to, to stay vigilant, keep trying things, treat them as experiments that could fail, is an excellent approach to success and legitimately avoiding the imposter syndrome in life. Do you buy that? I do buy it because um, I think not feeling like you know it all is very important in life. What's, I want you to end, what's one last thing you either want to tell yourself about living mm -hmm. or you want to tell our viewers and listeners about living 
well, living appropriately, living the wisely. Um, for me, one of the most important things is to always be learning, no matter what. I mean, no matter how good you are, no matter how experienced you are, no matter how much you think you know about a subject, just keep learning. Because um, the world keeps changing. And that's the fun of life, I think. I think that's what it's all about, you know. And on that note, Marilyn Mays, thank you very much for being my conversation partner here on my uh, How to Do Life podcast. I like to end every podcast. Of course, I, I welcome your giving a thumbs up to this, and I accept your thumbs down. I always look forward to your comments, uh, and I especially like it if you share with your social media so that my efforts, our efforts, can have broader impact. Sure. And now I do like to end every show with my very favorite quote that I believe is more appropriate today than ever. We find comfort among those who agree with us, growth among those who don't. I'm Marty Nelka. You've been listening to How to Do Life with Dr. Marty Nemko. For comments on the show or to consult with Dr. Marty Nemko, his email address is mnemko at comcast.net. Post-production of How to Do Life by Terry Rouse. Music by Blue Dot Session. Thanks for listening.